legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is lost cast, and may your ears receive it. Welcome to Horsecast, episode one. I'm Matt Hackett. I'm Horse Blair. <laughs> it's Jeff <laughs> Horse Blair. <laughs> oh, I hope that sticks. Can I just start calling you Horse? Sure. Oh, this is great. I'm I'm, I'm really excited about this. We need a uh, character in our games now called Horse Blair. Uh, my wife Andrea and I recently were. Um, in typical nerd fashion, we were laughing about something that's really probably not that funny, but it was really funny to us. It was um, a centaur with a horse head. <laughs> centaur with a horse head. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why, but like, you know, okay. So if you're not familiar, I mean, if you're listening to Lost Cast, you're probably familiar. But a centaur is basically like a horse body with the torso of a man instead of a head, right? I mean, you've probably seen them in at least the Harry Potter movies. This is new been information. Around for, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're very, like, they're myth- mythological creatures, um, but, like, <laughs> just picturing it with a, so it's really just, like, the shoulders and, and like, pecs and maybe a little bit of, uh, like, ab muscles of a person, and the rest is just horse. <laughs> so it's like a, a horse with a really fancy neck, basically. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a little disturbing that you find so much humor in this. <sighs> Yeah, maybe that'll be like a special monster in a, a Wizard's Lizard. It's a horse tour. The horse tour. The horse blare. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, this is Lost Cast, episode 52. It's just, And you're Jeff Blair. Yes, I am. All right. Most of the He's, time. But, but from now on, you can call him horse. But he anyway, the reason I did that in the first place is uh, Jeff was a little horse earlier. He was like... <laughs> I don't know. It just you know when you have a frog in your throat, but yours just wouldn't get out. Yeah, get out. But that seems to be happening a lot recently. Maybe I'm sick. What are you doing? I don't know. I don't even want to guess. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this episode we're going to talk about um, not just the Wizards Lizard Change Log, although we probably will get to that later uh, if time permits, and I'm guessing that it will. But we're first going to talk about um, macro game design. Which I don't know if that's an official term. Is that an official term, Jeff? Of I don't course. think it's necessarily <laughs> official. I, I saw some people talking about it on Twitter the other day. Actually, uh, some guy Back wanted to game. call it the meta game, and I yeah. saw some arguments that the meta game uh, is kind of a has a different meaning, right? Like a meta game is like a game within a game, right? Um, and a so, meta game might be more like well, in addition to trying to get from A to B, I'm also trying to kill a bunch of this type of monster to Could collect be. or like fill out some I feel like metagame is more like a game you play inside of the game rules it's not an officially part of the game hmm interesting perhaps I don't know anyways yeah semantics is hard uh, yeah it is but the conversation that I was part of is uh, it seemed to be leaning towards micro game as kind of the core gameplay and then macro game is kind of like the higher level progression game right so that's we talk about this kind of thing a lot um so to give you perspective um if you've played onslaught arena it is completely micro there really isn't um, a macro game to speak of and like if you've been playing a wizard's lizard 
Um, the macro, uh, the micro is all about running around, firing your weapons, collecting gear. Like it's, it's actually the actual core mecha- like mechanics of the game. And so the macro is the part that we've worked on probably the least in that game right now. I mean, it exists. It, uh, it exists in the town. And right. so there's ways you can upgrade your town. There's ways that you can um, like have an impact there. And that's where the progression in the game takes place. It's kind of something that keeps you motivated uh, to keep playing the micro game. Right. So like in Lava Blade, the micro game is the tactical battles. And then the macro game is like the overworld. Right. So you're like wandering around, you're figuring out which path to take, if there are options and like which store to go to and which items to buy. And it kind of reinforced like the macro game should reinforce you dipping into the micro game over and over and over again. Right. In that sense, Lava Blade actually might have a stronger macro-micro connection uh, yeah. than a Wizard's Lizard does at the moment because um, they actually they work pretty well together, right? Like you, you move around this overworld map and you dip into battles and you do the thing and you get some gold and you come back out and you buy some stuff and you upgrade your characters and you progress along the overworld path. Right. Um, so I would say that we are getting competent at micro games like we've had at least a couple of games where we can we we've prove, proven that we can provide like a core experience and like the game mechanics feel satisfying and are you know well explained and and all that stuff right like i think that where we're weakest as actual game developers would be the macro and the more i think about that it makes perfect sense cuz like we've spent a lot of time trying to hone our skills we've been developing a lot of games we participate in game jams and stuff like that and especially in a game jam um you're really just focusing on the micro. Yep. There's a very little macro work done. Um, just because it's like it's so much easier to take that off the table, but it's something that makes the whole game more appealing and look like can really improve the replayability. And I think the micro game um, is a little more up our alley um, initially, just because like we're programmers by trade, and so the micro game, at least in my experience, I mean, it depends on the kind of game you're making, but uh, it's generally leans more heavily on like programmatic simulations yeah the micro is where the fun stuff is the micro is where you're taking your sword and using it and you're like running around and casting fire spells and doing all that fun stuff right right um i've been playing lots of diablo 3 recently and really their macro game is um just a lot of user interface and like chrome and like just a lot of navigating and um both my wife and i struggle like with the gamepad and trying to navigate the UI. Like, in the game, we're both doing exactly what we want to. We're attacking the enemies. We have this complicated system of, like, you know, I have these skills attached to these buttons, and this cooldown affects that cooldown, and blah, 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 and all this stuff. But then we get into the macro, and, like, just doing basic stuff, like, I want to sell this item or equip this thing. Like, I pretty regularly mess that up. I'm like, oh, crap, I bought it. Like, I meant to compare that item, but I bought it. (laughs) And that's the kind of place that, like, would take a lot of our own effort to have these either... Like, one way to do it is you have this really complicated um, user interface that players can navigate, and, like, it, it uh, they do all these things that affects the micro in meaningful ways. So um, interesting. The uh, Diablo 3 actually has a very similar macro game to what we're envisioning for Wizard's Lizard, and that uh, you have this town, right? And, mm-hmm. like, the more you play, you can unlock the blacksmith and upgrade the blacksmith, and he can make better items and... Yeah, I didn't even know that was a feature in Diablo um, until I was messing with the tabs in a shop. And I'm like, oh, hey, you can train this guy. And I'm like, 
they never explained it, so I didn't know what in the world, you know? <laughs> what like, in the you world train the actual blacksmith. Like, that specific person gains levels. Right, yeah. Which is a little strange to me, because I'm like, I don't really know how the game works that well yet, you know? Like, I just moved from the first town to the second town, and now I'm like, well, is that first blacksmith never going to be accessible to me again? Because if so, I'm glad I didn't spend any time leveling him, you know? Uh, I think the blacksmith, like, transitions with you from town to town. Okay. I don't remember. See, that would it's make me while. more inclined to sink, you know, time or gold into it. But me not knowing that, I hope we do a good job of that, <laughs> explaining that kind of stuff. In our no, we'll probably do a terrible don't. job. Yeah, we will. We'll be like, <laughs> we'll be like, why don't you know how to do this? Didn't you program the game? Jeez. God. People are like, I've never heard of your stupid game. I don't know how to play it. <laughs> Read the source code. Jesus. <laughs> uh, I tweeted this recently. There was... Um, I was looking at uh, Legend of Zelda, the title screen and stuff. Um, I don't know. I was just feeling nostalgic, I think. I was also watching the uh, Arcana credits. Uh, good stuff. Um, I think I was looking for inspiration for like our intro and, and credits and stuff. Uh, but anyway, at the, the final screen on, on the, the original Legend of Zelda intro, uh, there's just this little thing that says, like, please refer to the, to the manual for <laughs> complete instructions. <laughs> That's just such a cop-out. Like, they, they barely explain a damn thing in the game. Um, and they don't have to. I mean, because, like, for one, it's so simple. And for two, yeah, like, they leaned really hard on this um, instruction manual the game came with that was, you know, very, very well fleshed out and everything. But and different era. Very different era. Very different era. I think that when you and I were playing games, at least the kind of gamers that we were, I remember I would read those booklets, like, cover to cover multiple times. Um, oh, definitely. Like, I remember and reading the Shiny Force <laughs> booklet, like, so many times. Oh, yeah. I don't even have any memory of, like, if I would read the book and then play the game or, like... Because I, I think what would happen is I would just start playing the game instantly because, like, who has the patience to wait? But then, like, when you get into the game a certain amount, you start to, like, look for what else might be there. And then there's the instruction manual. And then it gives you, like, oh, yeah, did you know that these enemies blah, blah, blah? And you're like, cool. I, I think, yeah, I would secrets. read the instruction manual during the downtime. Like, I was so into the game that if I couldn't be playing it, I would be reading the instruction manual because... <laughs> yeah, I have such a terrible like, memory, but I'm pretty sure I brought an instruction manual, um, like, with me when I traveled and stuff, just so I could, like, read about the game. Right. Or maybe it was the uh, the Dragon Dragon Warrior Strategy Guide, because I've still got that. Something. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I used to, like, when I couldn't play the game, I used to just sit there and read about them. I get, like, that would be the equivalent these days, the uh, the whole Zelda thing of being, like, go read the manual. Like, we could have a how to play screen on a Wizard's Lizard, and it just says, go Google it. <laughs> <laughs> it just links you to the to the wiki. Right. That's true. <laughs> We're like, F you, go figure it out. I was going to say, actually, it's kind of in a different era in the sense that, like, uh, I feel like a lot of people aren't going to Google it anyway even though it's available to them. Like all this information is at their fingertips, but people in general, I feel like, um, unless they're into the game, you know, if you haven't really hooked them yet, if they don't understand it, I think they're just going to leave. That's a really tricky place um, to design around. So I, I might have mentioned this before, so sorry, but my, uh, my brother, uh, John, um, he's the one that works at uh, EA. He was talking about his experience with Dark Souls, right? And... It really pulled him in, partially because it's so hard. Um, but he's also the kind of person where, again, we're talking about downtime, right? He would like to, uh, like when he's at work, um, you know, when he'll take like a 15-minute break during the day, just staying at his station, doing other stuff other than working, right? 
instead of going and, um, you know, reading news or something, he'll go to some forums, you know, and see what other people are talking about with Dark Souls. Like, he gets really into the the culture and the strategy and, like, the discussions. And, like, it's interesting because he doesn't really participate in them, but he reads all of them. He absorbs them. So he's them. Like a, kind of like a, a lurker <laughs> right. kind of guy, you know? Hangs out and absorbs. But then he'll, like, go home and because, you know, he's got a family and stuff. So, like, he'll go home and then, like, he gets, like, a, maybe an hour or two tops <laughs> to himself to play the game. And that's when he, like, applies these these things he learned. And I think that's, that's pretty interesting, too. So he maximizes his playtime. So he, like, kind of, like, preps for his playtime by reading all this information, especially the game like Dark Souls, like that's super important because otherwise like you could spend an hour or two just running around trying to figure out where you're supposed to go. Oh yeah. In a game you like that. You could spend an hour or two just dying against the, the same enemy and not knowing like a good strategy to use against right. them. Yeah. Like I guess when your time is precious, it needs to be effective. And like, if you're interested in moving through the game and seeing all the content, like you need to be able to execute on that. I think the way I've compensated for that these days is I just tend to I tend to play on a lower difficulty. At least when it's a game that I'm not really interested in knowing what say like the the pure mechanics would be. Mm-hmm. You know? Um Diablo is an example actually. We we started some characters on easy. But then I was like I did kind of want to know cuz like Diablo is the kind of game like like you were saying we're designing a wizard's lizard a lot like it. So I wanted to know what the actual like what it's supposed to feel like. So I went with, you know, medium or whatever. I, I hope that's normal because that's what I wanted to feel. I want to be like, what does this game actually feel like? Right. You know? Because easy felt uh, easy. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I didn't, this, I'm not really interested in that necessarily in this context. Yeah. Well, Diablo is a kind of game where like, uh, it's not like Dark Souls where it's easy to get lost. I feel like. No. You're not really on rails the whole time, but it's like it's pretty clear where you're supposed to be going most of the time. There's always a map and there's always a marker and where you're supposed to go. And like honestly, death is not that punishing, really. Right. It's not. Like your gear gets kind of messed up and it takes some gold and you have to wait like 15 seconds. It's like who cares? It's fine. Right. Uh anyway, Diablo everybody. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I think we should talk about uh, an unreleased game of ours, and I'm sure we've talked about it before, but, man, we really got to um, release this someday. It's uh, Rampart Rush is one of our best designed macros. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> you looked like you had more to say there than that. Well, I think it's it's – I think the fundamental design is really strong, but uh, it definitely just did not uh, – the content isn't there. Is well, the problem. I think the mi- we realize that the micro is so weak. Uh, I think that's why. So, okay, let's explain a little bit about Rampart Rush. Um, if you have not played Onslaught Defense, you should go do that. Uh, this was one of the earlier... I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, it's actually one of our most played games, uh, just because we launched it in like... When was that? Maybe mid-2010? No. No, uh, early 2012. Is that right? I have the best memory ever. Anyway, uh, it's a little mobile game. <clears throat> it's derived uh, heavily from Onslaught Arena. It has a lot of the same graphics and stuff. But really what it is is like um, a drip-down kind of combat game. So you control Zam at the bottom who moves left and right. And you throw swords and monsters are coming down from the top. And it's really just a survival game. It's like how long can you fight off the monsters before dying, basically. So... Um, 
this game got a lot of play. It sold a lot of licenses, and it was really good for us. But what we thought was pretty weak about it is that there's zero macro. There's no macro at all. The only thing that there is is it keeps track of your score. And it's like, you killed you know 700 monsters that run. That was really good. And you might want to beat that score. And that's all the game offers you. So at some point, I think it was around the time, maybe mid-Lava Blade, when we were really burnt out. <laughs> uh, I think that was like Christmas of... 2012 around that area maybe no it was more like uh um, 2013 yeah it was like early it's like early february or march yeah yeah i want to say march um, you were talking about what a strong micro that game has and it's great on mobile which was blah, like blah, blah, a blah. complete lie actually what that it's good on mobile no that it has a strong micro i thought it had a strong micro game but in actuality uh we hit the wall very quickly it's like one of those things that's deceptively strong like you play yeah. it, it's really great on mobile. I will say that. And it's like, if you play it for a couple of minutes, you're like, this is pretty fun. But then very quickly yeah. you realize that like, uh, there's no depth like there's whatsoever no depth, to the no. micro game. So, uh, another game that you may have played that we were trying to make something like was, um, a game called was it defender on Android and iOS. Yeah. Defender two. Um, because I mean, really, it's the same kind of game. Uh, but so the, the way Defender works is enemies are moving from the right to the left, and you're on the left with a crossbow, and you fire and you fight them off. Um, so in that, like, here's what you were talking about, where you, we found out it was really not that great of a micro um, on the surface, and, and like w- we felt educated about this game design because we'd already built a you know very small, but we built a game on top of it, right? But what we realized is that we'd really just scratched the surface. Um, so here's here's the way it worked. Um, here's what happened. As the enemies drip down, right, there's really not much wiggle room there. The reason Onslaught Defense works is because there's, like, a, a difficulty that slowly increases over time. And so once you get through, like, maybe 10 waves or something, the game gets to a point where the math just makes it impossible to beat. And so really it's all about, like, how far towards that point can you get, which is incredibly hard. And there is, there's a little bit of depth there, but really it's like you're going to hit that max where it's either you can't get much farther or it's just not much fun to do it. And then we introduce um, these weapon drops, and there's one weapon drop in particular that's completely overpowered. So the game becomes about how often do you get this like overpowered weapon drop. And if you don't right, get it a it, lot, you're going to die early. And if you get it a lot, you're going to go farther. Yeah, and it's based on luck, which is super lame because at that point it's basically the craps table. You know, it's like roll the die. Okay, you got a lot of um, you know rune sword drops. You're gonna do well this time. Um, so that's super lame. And the way that we designed Rampart Rush is exactly the same micro. You're defending your castle. You're at the bottom of the screen. Enemies are dripping down. Um, but we wanted it to be progressive, where like every time you played the game, um, you would be like it, <clears throat> it gets a little harder. And now, like, you've had the opportunity to upgrade your gear, upgrade your stats, and all that. Um, but what we li- realized, again, is that there's there's no wiggle room there. Because it's, like, it's no fun to play that when you're behind and you just get slaughtered. It's really not fun. It's it's a bad experience. Because, like, you're sitting here and you're, you're doing whatever you can. You're just, like, you're moving your character where he needs to be. You're shooting the enemies. And they just keep coming. And then they just, bam, bam, bam. The screen's shaking. Your cast is taking damage. And you lose. And you're, like, Because your fun. DPS isn't high enough. Because your DPS isn't high enough, right? And I, then, likewise, if you go a little bit, little bit too much in the other direction, it's a little too easy. You're sitting here, and it's like the enemies are barely appearing on the screen before you're killing them. Right. You know. I think the defender probably has that same problem, but um, I, I think that part of the problem is that it's not a game that you and I like. 
you know i think that that kind of a game appeals to the gamer that's like i just want something simple um that's got like this kind of rewarding macro game right like that's where the macro game is really important is because um you kind of feel like you're progressing i kind of feel like it's like the same thing with like menu-based rpgs i i think that the, the there's a divide here there's like we we do to be clear we do like that kind of arcade game we like arcade style games we love 1942 life force our type like lords of thunder like the problem is is that the way these games are designed is is they're like you're saying they are actually in their implementation they're closer to something like a like a uh, what was that one called like um like mafia wars or something mo- <laughs> like a mob war yeah like a mafia wars type where it's like Oh, so in Defender, for example, you show up, and that's almost enough. There's going to be this steady strip or steady drip of enemies, and as long as you're there doing what you're supposed to, you don't have to have a lot of skill. You're using your bombs, like okay, great. And then the bomb, the boss shows up, and he like the math is there. The designers have placed it there. Like the boss is going to show up, and as long as you've been up- upgrading, he's going to get you to about half dead, and then you're you felt like it was kind of a battle. Then you win, and you get your little upgrade, and like. That's really just the way the game works. It's very linear. You're just going to be like, every time you play the game, you, vo- you move up a level. And the the highest, like, there basically is no highest level. Or, like, it goes up stupid high to where no one would ever get to it. And that's kind of like the way we were designing Rampart Rush, but I don't think it's the kind of game that we would like to play. Like, we were no, trying we, to find we like, more into the micro game, but we couldn't because it was just so limiting, that fundamental concept. Yeah, we care about the experience. We care about like like there being skill and stuff involved. Um, I actually did a lot of work. We we we, we both did this like um, we we did separate iterative uh, passes on this where we uh, tried to make each run so like a little. It was basically a sixty second experience of monsters dripping down at you, and and we tied it to the interest curve. So it would like start out of the gate pretty hard, and then it would take like a slow dip down and get a little easier, and then it would get a little harder, and then a little easier, and then by the end it was as hard as, as it gets. And like that, that shows you that we were struggling to make this experience. It's like okay, it's real skill based. It's action packed. It's like it uh, it gets your adrenaline pumping. And like that's not the kind of game that would marry very well with that macro. And like it's not to say that it couldn't have been. You know, we could have made some small tweaks. And like if if it was a game like say 1942 where you control an avatar and you can move them on the full two dimensions instead of just this one dimension left and right. Right. That's a different story because, like, you're there's a lot of wiggle room there for difficulty because it involves dodging and, and moving and stuff. But, like, because of this design we had made so rigidly, you were tied to this castle. You must be at the castle because the whole game just goes inside and outside of the castle. And your castle Castles can't is dodge. ever present. Right. Your castle can't so. dodge, your castle can't move. Like, maybe we could have taken the avatar and put him out in the field or something weird. Like, th- there probably were ways that we could have saved the design but we had built in like it was one of those cases where before we knew we were on shaky ground we'd built a lot of infrastructure mm-hmm. and it was it's to the point now where like if we were going to take another stab at that we'd almost certainly write it from scratch so it's like i don't know but that, I think, that's a, been a tough one because it's like it's a fairly decent game as it is but in order for it to actually be any good and worth playing it would need a ton of work it would and i think that uh, the macro game there is especially interesting because the concept is good like you go into a battle, you earn some coins, you come back and you upgrade your town, right? Right. That fundamental concept is pretty cool, but um, we only had like a handful of buildings. So that put more pressure onto the micro game, which wasn't very solid. And so it ended up kind of being this like weak macro and weak micro. And like, I feel like if the macro had been really excellent, then 
Um, it could have had like more of a just kind of mindless micro and it wouldn't have, we probably wouldn't have been satisfied with it just because we don't like that type of game, but it could have been a better, a better game perhaps. Yeah. So let's, so let's explain the micro. So, um, if you haven't played Onslaught Defense, go play it and then you'll figure it out. Um, Rampart Rush might be playable online somewhere. Anyway. Um, so after the battle, uh, win or lose, you go back, like picture that's that castle that's at the bottom of the screen that scrolls up and now you're like, you're inside the castle grounds, right? So once you're inside there, that's where the macro game is. And there's a three by three grid of little plots where you can build stuff. And so the game prompts you, um, like when you're done with the battle, you'll find, say, like a blueprint for a weapon shop. And now you can build a weapon shop. And when you build it, that opens up weapons you can buy. And that's the point of entry for different types of weapons. And then so you go and let's say you buy a dagger and you go fight another battle. And then you win that battle and you have more money. And you find the blueprint for, say, the, the smithy right? Like the armor smith or whatever, swordsmith. Right. So then you build a swordsmith and then you can now upgrade your dagger from, you know, level one to level two. And that's how you have, like you have to keep leveling up your weapon or else you'll start to fall behind and the game becomes impossible. <laughs> I think one of the things that we did wrong there was we focused on too many weapons at the start. We had this like onslaught arena, onslaught defense style inspiration, right? Yeah. And like we wanted to have all these different weapon trees and like that actually proved to be really difficult to balance and still is completely unbalanced within the game. Like the different weapon types are very uh, disparate in their abilities. Yeah. We should have seen that before we designed, um, any more weapons. Like I think we're at that point now where like when we design, we're very scared of adding new content. Um, I mean, it got kind of out of hand with a lizard, with a wizard's lizard, but that's just because we were at the point where it needed a load of content, you know, but as designers now, like we would not lightly add like, here's three different weapon types, you know? Right. <laughs> um, Cause like in Onslaught Defense, say for example, axes, uh, because it was, it was a derivative of Onslaught Arena. We were like, let's put axes in here. And what do axes do? They bounce off walls. Cool. But in a game where you're at the bottom of the screen and you're just moving left and right and you're just firing up, bouncing doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. So we we toggled it so that it's uh, the axes throw left and right to bounce off the walls. Right. Uh, it was clunky and it didn't feel good and like we even knew that. But um, I think we've talked about before if we were going to redo the weaponization in the Wizards Lizard, we would probably start off with like, okay, you're an archer, right? And you yeah. shoot one arrow at a time, and then like everything is focused around upgrading that experience. Yes. Uh, it would it would definitely be something much more concise. None of this open ended like yeah you know it's medieval fantasy weapons. None of that crap anymore. Like we we've figured out that we're just not good at that. <laughs> it needs to be like it needs to be like this would be better for us. You're throwing rocks, various types of rocks, <laughs> different sizes and colors of rocks, <laughs> or maybe um, two or three rocks at a time or something like. Right. Uh, at least there's, like there's, there's something wrong with having multiple there. weapon trees, but I feel like. We always introduce multiple weapon trees before we have even fleshed out one weapon tree, right? Like we don't take one thing to its natural yeah. conclusion before we it's, start it's to diversify. It's really a lack of uh, it's a lack of discipline, is what it is, because it's so fun to add new weapons. But like, no, I just want to like you slap your own wrists. Stop it! <laughs> you haven't earned that yet. Like first, we did a good job with that though. Um, with the wizard's lizard, we at least did this. We focused on the sword. We went through and we like we flatlined it at the sword. We're like, okay, the sword is the base weapon and we iterated and we felt like the sword is exactly how we want it to feel. The sword's great. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we were like, um, so let's like, what could a spear be? And a spear ended up being a sword, 
that moves a little faster and that makes it go a little farther because it's based on a TTL. And so I thought, I feel like we did a pretty good job, but what we had to do was we had to come back and kind of like wipe everything off the table and place it back meticulously. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a sign of just being cluttered and undisciplined again. Um, I do what? like all the various weapons in the game now though. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I like the weapons. I want to <laughs> add more types of weapons. That's one of the funnest things to do is add weapons. So let's talk about the macro game design in a wizard's lizard. Uh, yes, let's do that. So I guess our high level goal this time around was that we wanted to find a way to insert some macro game concepts into what's otherwise like a permadeath roguelite, I guess is the term. You know, someone tweeted that to us recently. They were like, Hey, I don't understand what a wizard's lizard is all about. Like, is it a roguelite, like rogue legacy? And, and like, I've played rogue legacy and I don't know what roguelite means. I barely know what roguelike means, you know? Yeah, like, it's very ambiguous. <laughs> roguelike itself is so just thrown around. Like, yeah, sure. You know, it has it has one element that game had. It has a letter R in the title. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I don't, I have no idea. And like ro- like another, a derivative of roguelike to me is completely ambiguous. I, I, have, I have no idea what that means. Yes. Anyway, that's my little rant. I think my a roguelite um, is actually the term we're looking for when we say that like it's a roguelike with because it has some aspects of rogue-esque games right like yeah so whatever i don't know anyways semantics aside um we kind of designed this game where you know you you always start at the beginning and you always start from ground zero and there's no kind of character progression so we wanted to have uh some kind of progression in the game and that's kind of where we came to the town uh, upgrading of the town aspect and and let's explain our motivation behind that um we have to admit that there's a lot of Spelunky inspiration because we're both in love with it. Um, but there's also the aspect of we had just come off of uh, developing Lava Blade. And um, when we were starting to work on uh, this was Crypt Run at the time, we were like, okay, screw progression because that was so hard to test. We had like, you had all these save states for like the characters in Lava Blade. You could like load a save state. And you're like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm two battles away from, say, the. Um, swamp boss or something right right and so it was really hard to balance where that content goes and what the stats should be like and like we had someone post on the forum just recently actually they were wondering they were like why is the sheepskin have a higher defense rating than the iron shield and i was like i'll tell you why is because that game's content was hard to make because of the progression you know although i think that the thing missing from that thread was that the iron shield actually has other benefits uh the iron shield has it has less defense but it has more hit point buff and it's um, less expensive. So really, I think the only thing with that is like, he was asking about the thematic choice. Like, why is it called a sheepskin shield when it's got higher defense? Because sure, you yeah. wouldn't think that sheepskin would be harder than iron. Yeah. But in terms of actual game stats, it's technically not really a better item. Right, yeah. But that's, that's part of what I'm saying, though, is like the, the, the weapons and items in Lava Blade are all... Um, really contextual like it, it's important that they are of their time like it, it like in the say the couple of hours you might be in the the sewer or sorry the <laughs> the, the swamp like maybe you're in the, sw- the swamp for an hour like those weapons need to be of of the swamp you know like they can't be too much weaker too much stronger 
and then like this there's like the stuff in the forest before them and the stuff in the volcano afterwards it's like it's like a lot of content that all has to be laid out on this path and there's so much less of that with a wizard's lizard it's really just like you put content into the game and there's like sometimes like we actually had do have like three three tiers of weapons but there's such small tiny baby steps up um i don't know it's just, it's just the content is is incredibly easier and there's no like um there's no state basically for you to keep track of as a designer right when you're making a roguelike like this well and we kind of like you're talking about before we baselined around the sword and then everything else is kind of like a slight deviation from the sword either uh in terms of like actual combat stats like how fast it goes how much damage it does and that kind of stuff or right. it's like it adds some kind of status effect like freezing or poison or whatever yeah so we try not to deviate too much from like this um kind of base level stats like we don't want to get into a lava blade situation where it's like you know you have this really long progression of like okay you start at stat level one and you go away stat level 50 and like right. there's just this constant balance that has to be maintained not that a wizard's lizard doesn't have to be balanced but um it still needs the thing is like like you were saying nothing really strays very far from the baseline the far like like uh you start off with a sword and that's our base and then the second step up from that or like the step up from that is is poison sword and that just applies poison and then like the step up from that will be say what is it iron sword which is it's basically just a sword that does a little bit more damage that's that's all it, like that's the highest it goes as opposed to lava blade where it's like maybe there's five different swords in the forest and there's five different axes and five different hammers and five different shurikens and that's per zone you right. know and that's a lot of content that not just has to be balanced um on like compared to uh, similar items but also on each of the monsters in that zone and all that and so with everything being at the baseline and not extending very far from that with the wizard's lizard it is i don't know it's a lot easier to develop and it has we're talking about like five characters right like right. In, it was his lizard it's like one set of weapons for one character versus like in lava blade you have like healers and damage casters and ranged attackers and melee attackers and then you have defense and you have attack and like yeah. I mean, a lot of those same issues kind of exist in a wizard's lizard, but we did simplify it a little bit. Yeah. But anyway, uh, that's that was part of our inspiration for wanting to make a game like this. Um, I kind of derailed you there. What was Go that? forth. <laughs> you, know, you, you, were, you were trying to... You were talking about the... Like, uh, we were designing the macro and stuff, and then I wanted to explain our motivation behind designing a game um, that oh, had right. roguelike aspects. Right, and so some of the stuff we've implemented so far has been to uh, basically, I guess the only macro stuff that exists in the game right now, there's like a few things. One is that you can unlock shortcuts to uh, the higher level zones in the game. And it's been pointed out that like, um, that's not like, it's not fun for some people because they feel like it's a, you know, it's not like a, a checkpoint where you're like, oh, you can like resume your game from, uh, the crypt or whatever. It's more like now you have the ability to practice the crypt if you yeah. want, uh, but you're going to miss out on a lot of the like preparation just because of the nature of the game. And that's kind of the way we, we wanted to design it. But I guess yeah. to me, like that doesn't feel like enough of a macro game, like getting the no, shortcuts no. is nice, but at high level play, uh, they don't really give you much in terms of reward for playing. Right. Um, another macro aspect that we've actually developed is uh, as you collect items in the world, 
some of which are very rare and some of which can only be found by doing certain things, certain secrets. Um, those items are displayed in the museum. So that's part of the macro too. And we'll do something like, you know, uh, once you've gotten 100% of the, of the items, like a statue appears or something, you know, like we'll reward that somehow. And I like that concept, but I also feel like it's kind of weak in terms of reward. Like basically it's just a better visualization of achievements. You don't actually get anything besides like the satisfaction of filling up a museum of full of items. But that's enough sometimes. Like I find this Belunky achievements very compelling and really it's just a, it's a icon that appears in the UI of the game, you know? That's true. It, it is. But, um, and my Spelunky statue has three gems on it, Jeff. <laughs> that's true. How many but, gems does your Spelunky statue have on it? Two. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Melissa look at that third gem for you. Maybe she will. <laughs> but those are achievements Anyways. that like we don't even have. Like we don't even have that kind of an achievement in the game. Like we don't have those kinds of gems that signify you beat this the hard way. So no. the current implementation is still weaker than I want it to be. Oh, definitely, yeah. It, there's a ton of work to do on Macro, yeah. Really, like, um, the, we have the equivalent of the journal, right, in Splunky, where yeah. it's like, you filled up your journal, good job. Basically, yeah. That's, like, the only achievement we have visualized. Good for you, no good job. So I think that the game still needs a lot more, like, actual rewards. At least yeah. I, I would like it to have actual rewards. I totally agree. Um, and so part of the way that we're trying to do that is, one, having these shopkeepers that you can rescue... Um, that will give you some kind of like benefit uh, to your next runs. So it's like you don't necessarily get to keep your stats, but uh, you can progress enough so that you can start your next run with better equipment, slightly better equipment. So uh, here's another macro aspect that we have. Um, when you, th there are people out in each zone. Uh, so like cemetery, sewer, and crypt, and they are shopkeepers. There's an armorsmith, weaponsmith, and an engineer. And when you rescue them in the game, they then appear in the town and they'll sell you goods. And that's how you start. That's how you have like a better starting point, right? Right. And we were just talking about like, uh, like you start the game every time, like you, you, know, you die, you come back and you're in the town um, and you have a thousand gold. And like at first you can't even spend it because there's no, like all the townspeople have been kidnapped, right? Or whatever. And then you, um, we're, we're talking about having people... Um, other hostages out in the uh, the zones that when you save them, it increases your starting gold because there's more townspeople now who can like pull their money together to help you. Right. And so like, let's say you rescued 10 townspeople, maybe that's another thousand gold. And so now you have 2000 gold to start and you've rescued the weaponsmith and armorsmith. So like now you've got more gold and more options. So like you start off each game now with like a, a compass and a map and a golden ax or something. And so you're like, you're starting to feel pretty good. I think that we should, um, I think, what was it, last Friday or two Fridays ago, I guess, uh, we went through and we, like, really did a kind of refresh of the itemization systems that we're both pretty happy with now uh, in the so game. That was so fun. I think we should do the same thing for, like, the town gold merchant mm. hostage thing because uh, it feels like we've got some cool pieces in the mix there, but I think we really need, like, a vision for, like, okay, this is the way that you acquire more gold, right? And it's very specific and, like... It's, you know, every time you get a new townsperson, you get X added to your initial pool. Right. And then, like, we start working from there. And then all the prices are based on, you know, that kind of stuff. Making a ticket. All right. We'll double I'm drag it. it. Uh, 
do the things with the stuff. Dude, that's right. <laughs> Design, redesign, town, macro. Design jam. Yeah. That sounds fun, actually. It does, yeah. And so I guess, like, I, I think that we should take the same approach we did last time, which was that we just kind of, like, laid out all the pieces we had on the table, and then we kind of, like, decided on a vision for this aspect of the game. Like, this is what we want it to feel like. Here's the things we have, so let's kind of mold them into a more cohesive experience. And I feel like uh, that's something the town upgrade path really needs. Yeah. Um, I feel like when we're in the thick of it and uh, we're just designing on stuff, we can kind of forget what's there, like what tools we have at our disposal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try an idiom here, okay? Okay. It's like we can't see the forest for the trees. Did I do that's that right? pretty good. Is that good? Yeah. So we have to take a step back. Right. And like re look at our game board and move stuff around and make sure everything's where we want it to be and that we've used all the used all the variables we have at our disposal. Well, we really want to make the macro game as compelling as possible. We want to give you a reason, like we want to reinforce like going back into the game multiple times. And I think that oh the uh so like the sewer crystal thing actually not sewer crystal, but like the shortcut crystals. Um so the way you unlock the shortcuts is by defeating these crystals in the in the dungeons. And what you did recently was you put them behind like kind of a counter. So you have to kill mm-hmm. the crystals like X times to unlock the shortcut now. Yeah. It used to be a one-to-one ratio. It was just, if you've killed the slime crystal, then you have the sewer, um, on exit unlocked. And that doesn't play great to our, like what the game is really strong at is repeat plays. I mean, we've designed that from the very beginning is like always feels fresh, always random, always just a little bit different to keep you interested. Um, and so we need to leverage that because we've spilt, we've, we've um, spent time building it. Right. We and need so to structure the, our rewards such that that's what you want to do, right? Like we need to make like right. multiple trips into the dungeon attractive and beneficial. Right, yeah. Um, and so now it's, uh, it looks at a number of times that you've killed uh, the crystals. And we're going to visualize that in the town too. So there will be these exits to get to the sewer and the crypt and they'll have like these crystals blocking the door. And you'll be able to see that there's like three crystals blocking your path to the sewer. And so you go into the sewer and you kill the crystal and you come back to town and then you can see there's only two crystals blocking your path. And then you do it again. There's only one crystal and then eventually you're unlocked and you got full access. And I think that we can uh, bring that same concept to the starting gold, right? Like you were talking about. Um, yeah. Every time you rescue someone, you get a little bit more gold added to your pool. What I'm kind of picturing is there's like people in a circle, and at first there's like two of them or something, and there's like 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 a treasure chest in the middle, or maybe just some money, so it's easier for you just to like grab and leave because it's something that you're you know every time you die, we might want to have you do this again just to kind of. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, <laughs> and that amount of money is a custom amount of money, and at first it's a thousand, but as you start rescuing people in the dungeons, um, that circle of people gets bigger and bigger. And then you can see that the pile of money gets bigger and bigger as well. That'd be a really great visualization for that. And you would know when you see a townsperson um, trapped out in the world, you're like, oh, sweet. Like, that's that's money, money. You know, and you want to go grab them. Right. Yeah, That's the idea anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I like that a lot. We just need to balance that so that, you know, you can't get, <laughs> it doesn't get too out of proportion. Or, or maybe we just structure the prices such that, like, it takes a while. You know, like it takes a while to get to being able to buy one item. And then it takes yeah, another while to get to being able to buy two items. Yeah. We have a lot of control over that. We'll be able to like 
you know, let's say even if you go and rescue this townsperson multiple times, like you've already rescued that townsperson. So mm-hmm. it's like they're still in the game. You still get to, you know, rescue them. But like you've already unlocked that bit. So you get you already have the money. Um, Yeah, we'll be able to we'll have a lot of control over that, I feel. Totally. I'm, I'm looking forward to this now. This this uh, macro design session. This sounds like a lot of fun. We should do it later today. Yeah, we should. I like that when um, something that has been kind of baking for a while and like we come up out of the weeds, stick our head up, you know, like, oh, what's and like we, we see it like, <laughs> oh, what is that stinking pile over there? <laughs> like, let's go over there and clean that mess up, you know? That's like, kind of we, the way that like I feel the game design goes, right? You have all these things, all these little systems working together and like you're just constantly bouncing back and forth being like, oh God, this thing is terrible. Like, let's fix it up. And like, then you bounce back over to some other part of the game where it's like, oh, this is terrible. Like, now let's fix that up. And then you keep doing that until the game is great hopefully that's kind of what i i tell people or something i say is it's like putting out a series of fires and like whenever someone is like hey you know here's here's some here's a way you could spend your time (laughs) no matter how it is i'm like look i I, i've got way too many fires to put out right now and like (laughs) that's the way it feels in my head you know i've got like right now there's a like there's at least two burning fires and it's like one of them is ship a wizard's lizard and like as long as that fire is (laughs) as long as it's on fire i have a hard time concentrating on putting out other little fires and the fires are like those trick birthday candles where they keep relighting <laughs> they really are you're like okay you son of a i just i just blew you out <laughs> the collision system is fixed water. right <laughs> nope i'll broke it again you throw the whole cake in a swimming pool it's like right. that. <laughs> yeah uh, good times so we have a lot of work to do on the macro. Um, I think that it's one of our, our weakest areas as designers. Uh, like we were saying earlier, I think that we're starting to get decent at designing mic- micros. Like uh, Wizard Lizard feels pretty good just fighting stuff and wandering around. But like it's very little incent- uh, incentive to keep you going and all that. Um, I think that what we should try to do is the next time we do a game jam, whether it's Indie Speedrun or otherwise, we should make a game... Um, that's macro first. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's like there, there should be a micro, but it needs to be like either something stupid, simple or just brainless or something. And then we'll focus on the macro because that's where we need the practice. Totally. That sounds like fun. Sounds like an interesting yeah, way to design. It does. I think that it'll give us a fresh perspective on the game. So something else I added macro-wise just today, and it's been kind of bubbling around in my head for a bit, uh, is the arena. And like the arena is this zone that we've kind of envisioned being like a bonus zone, but it's not accessed through the normal game. It's kind of like this extra zone that you can go test your skill at uh, outside of the normal game flow. Right. And uh, what I did today was I actually added it into the game behind a gate of total kills. So when you reach a certain threshold of total kills in the game, then you can enter the arena. You know, it just occurred to me, we should bubble that number up somehow. I did. Who says it? Or where is it? Well, if you don't have it, if the arena is locked, there's an NPC that explains what's going on. Does he give you a number? Yep. Okay, great. He gives you a current total and what you need to reach. Nice. Yep. But I decide just to have them not there at all if it's unlocked. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, um, fantastic. Um, so, and it's probably gonna be something pretty high right now. It's set artificially low just for testing, but I think it's yeah. gonna be. That's kind of like I want to be one of the long-term things you're working on. Like, okay, I keep going into the dungeon. You know, I kill like 150 things every time I go into the dungeon, uh, and therefore it's gonna take me you know 
and number of playthroughs to get to unlock the arena. Yeah. Um, I'd like to make a quick quick side note here. Uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but so the Kickstarter um, set us at making the cemetery and the crypt. Right. Two zones. <laughs> and we <laughs> we didn't make our stretch goal for the sewer, but we really badly wanted to do a sewer anyway. I think because of Onslaught Arena. We both just really like sewers. They're yeah, cool. I think so too. The sewer is one of my favorite zones in Onslaught. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, I don't know. Maybe it's because we grew up with teen, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something. I don't know. I just, sewers are like, they feel very alive to me. They're, um, a, I don't know. They're a great thematic choice for this kind of game, I think. Yeah. And like, since we've been working on nothing but the crypt for the last month, it's pretty clear that if we have not done the sewer, we could have shipped the game much easier uh, earlier. Um, but so we volunteered <laughs> the sewer zone. And now we also have the forest, the <laughs> den of thieves, and now the arena. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we've, we started with two. And what is that? Forest, den of thieves, arena. Six. So, so we've tripled the amount of, essentially we've tripled the amount of zones that our game was supposed to have. But, <laughs> but the sewer is the only like new original zone. The other three zones are all meant to be remixes. Yeah, that's true. So that's like true. the den of thieves is like a remix of traps and shops. The forest is like a remix of like, um, just kind of like low enemies. It's meant to just be a different feel. It's like a bigger zone with like less dense, um, but it's got kind of like bats and owls and stuff. And then right. the arena is just meant to be like all the hard content in a very linear dungeon um, with no health upgrades or little health upgrades or something. It's just meant to be more of like a, a trial, um, but it's yeah. still going to use all the exact same content that we had before. And I like to point this out. One of the reasons that it's really easy for us to make zones is because we did a really good job from the very beginning setting up um, thoughtful limitations on our environments. And here's what I mean is we committed really early on to doing the Zelda perspective so that our environments are really easy to generate. Because, like, we could have, we wanted to actually make it more like each room is more like a Tetris piece. Like, it could be, have it could have, like, an L shape. It could have a plus shape. It could be round. But what that would involve is, um, like, we've done it before, and we could have done it again, but it does require a lot of work to, like, have these really fancy, like, um, like the, the, the shape of your dungeon can be complex because you have these graphics and this code that, like, knows where to place the tiles and what type of edge tiles and, like, like border tiles to place around, you know? Mm-hmm. And we're still going to have to do that a little bit for the edging around our um, pits, and like our lava pits and our uh, swampy, sewagey, gooey stuff. But it's a far, like a big difference between just doing that little bit and doing a whole complicated tiling system within the individual like dungeon rooms. Yeah. I think the like uh, non-square rectangular rooms is something I would love to have done. And we probably won't get to it for this game, but um, yeah, it would be cool. Maybe a sequel. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I don't even want to think about a sequel. No, I don't either. Not until No, later. sir. I think that we've kind of both talked about this a little bit, that we do not want to make another three-force overhead game in the near future. No, I, I want to make a side-trolling game from the side. One perspective. Yep. That sounds like fun to me. It sounds like we could just be so much more effective. So much more. Definitely, yeah. Our Our art and our engine lends itself more easily to something like that i mean we're making 2d games like it seems obvious now that we should be making like true 2d games instead of these hybrid games 
Right. Yeah, that's true. Anywho, yeah. So, uh, play with the arena. It's completely not tuned <laughs> yet, but uh, it will see more tuning later. Um, uh, we will eventually stop selling the early access. We should do that soon. We should talk about that today, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, so, go get it if you want it, because otherwise you're going to have to wait a month or two to play the game. Um, and you can pre-order it right now for 12 bucks, and you can play the beta. So, if you haven't yet... Do it. Get to it. <laughs> get to it. That's about all I have for the macro game, I think. Cool, yeah. Um, good stuff. And uh, next week, we'll probably do another uh, Wizards Lizard. Change log. <laughs> yes. We'll probably have some interesting stuff to talk about if we start working on some of that macro game stuff this week. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And boss Hopefully. design. I'm planning on working on the uh, the C-Hag a lot this week as well. That, that might be a good way to do the podcast. We talk about what we want to do and why. Then we talk about what we did and why. <laughs> right. <clears throat> Actually, that'd be, that'd be Set really it up good. up and then knock it down. And then so each episode can be like, you know, the first half we talk about how the things we talked about last episode went. <laughs> how badly it went. Yes, how badly it went. And then the next half is like, okay, what are we going to do this week to fix our screw-ups? Yeah. <laughs> Cool. You got that to look forward to next week. All right. See you next week. Ship it.
I'm Horse Blair.